Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. It happened early on in my life, and it just so happened that it kind of ties in with uh, with what took place here this past week. So I'm going to ask Brother Cliff, would you put that photo up there? Or Brother Long, if you would put that photo up. And I know you guys have seen this before. It's kind of hard to tell. But that is the softball team that Brother Ali was making reference to this morning. And uh, when I first gave my heart to God, uh, a lot of times uh, my car would not work, and so I would have to make the very long walk from where I lived. It wasn't very long, really, but I made the walk from this old beat-up apartment that I was living in to the church, and uh, I was on a softball team. I, I know you really haven't figured out which one I am there, but... and. Uh, when my car wouldn't work, I would walk by the ball field, and of course, my team would be out there, and they'd be practicing or playing, and they'd say, PK, come on, we need you, we want you to come play softball. And what Brother Ali was making reference to was the choices we make to add value to our eternal life, right, as well as the life. And so... There's nothing wrong with playing sports, at least in my personal opinion, but for me, it so happened that my, the games fell on a Tuesday and Thursday. And a Tuesday and Thursday was church night, in addition to Sunday morning and Sunday night. And so it was a no-brainer for me. It was my commitment to the things that I knew were going to help me because I needed help and I needed to be around people that were in, that cared for my soul. And it's kind of ironic. Uh, the reason why I show you this picture is because uh, this last uh, last week there was four four memorials. Right? There was Brother Sanchez. There was Brother Ron Smith from Colquim. Good friend of mine, Brother Steve probably knows him, and and uh, and I couldn't make uh, either one of them. One I was out of town, the other one I was already committed to, and because on Friday and Saturday I was asked to do the memorial service for two of those young men. One Friday and one Saturday, they had passed away a couple of months ago. Well, one of them just a few weeks ago, and the other one a few months ago, and. And uh, they had asked me uh, to do the memorial service. And I have done the memorial services of three of them, as well as brothers, mothers, fathers. And so it I say that just to let you know that the choices that you make in life, especially early on when you commit yourself to God, you don't know how it's going to affect you future. But do know this, it, it will impact, if you're faithful and you're committed to God, it will impact those that 
have never known God. Amen. And my thank you uh, for this last week. Uh, uh, I just make a quick comment. Uh, we, you gave a great love offering to help the Sanchez family and the loss of their son. And uh, those that delivered food to the Sanchez family, thank you very, very much. That's what we do. That's what we do. And some of you may not know that you even possibly participated in that, but you did. If you're a part of this assembly, you did. You helped a family that was in great need. And so we thank you very much for that. Amen. So in our story here today, and this sounds kind of, of echoey from up here. I don't know, does it sound okay out there? Or it sounds echoey from, from me, but my hearing is not the best, so um, we'll continue on until somebody throws something at me, I guess, and then I'll pick up the hand mic. Amen. But in our reading, I, how many of you know the story of Gideon? Hopefully everybody does, of course, if you've read the Bible. But here, Gideon had already experienced great miracles to get to the point that he was at, okay? He had already, he had went to battle with 300, and as far as we know, he lost zero of his men in battle, and he destroyed or they killed 120,000 of the enemy. You can read it. All right, now those numbers don't match up well, right? But now that's, you can read it. And, but there were still 15,000 of the enemy that had escaped. And within that 15,000, there was two kings. Now, before the battle even started, we need to recognize that God had called Gideon a man of valor while he had been hiding out threshing wheat in order for his family just to survive because of the enemy forces that he had already defeated. But... In the beginning, he was very afraid of the Midianites, and they would come during when the harvest season was uh, happening. The Midianites would come. They would still rob all the food, take it away. And so Gideon was just trying to survive and get his family through the next year. He was hiding out, trying to thresh out enough wheat to make bread to feed his family. That's where God found him. That's where God called him out of. All right? You're with me. And I'm sure that Gideon, as before he crossed the Jordan, I'm still, I'm quite certain that he could still remember, as you and I would if this were to happen, the words that spoke to him from the angel. Now, he had an... Uh, an angel experience. That angel said while he was hiding, 
He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty men of valor. Remember that, right? That's what he said. Gideon's like, whoa, looking around, who are you talking to, Lord? You, Gideon. And, of course, his first response was, well, sure. He said, if God is with us, where are the miracles our fathers told us about? God told Gideon, he said, he told him to go in the strength he was given. And I think you and I would agree that God never calls us to do something without empowering us to get the job done. Amen? He's not going to ask you to do something if he knows that you're going to flunk. So Gideon sounded the trumpet. He had the call of God. He sounded the trumpet. He assembled an army of 32,000 men. Now, the Bible, the Scriptures tell us that the Midianites were so much in number that they were like grasshoppers. They were everywhere. Thousands upon thousands of them. And Gideon sounds a trumpet. 32,000 men come from all the different tribes. And, of course, God tells Gideon, he says, well, that's too many, Gideon. Now, Gideon had already went through these particular experiences in his mission that he had been called to do prior to him getting to the Jordan and crossing the Jordan, okay? So God says, send everybody home that's got fear in their lives. Are you with me? How many, guess how many was left out of the 32,000? Ten. 22,000 said, hey, thanks for giving me that option. I'm gone. So he's with, left 10,000. 22,000 scattered. They said, see ya. And then God says, well, Gideon, he says, let me in on a little secret. Even if I turn you loose with 10,000 against we know there's at least 135,000 of the Midianites, okay, from the numbers. He says, even if I leave you with 10,000, and I'm going to deliver them, okay, Gideon, I'm going to defeat the enemy. You don't have to worry about that. You're going to defeat them. He says, but if you go out there with 10,000, he says, those men are going to come back and they're going to say, oh, yeah, look what we did. And we know the story. He says, take them to the water. He says, take them to the water. So they all go down to the water. He says, make them drink. He says, you know, let them drink. They're thirsty. He says, now, he says, keep only the ones that keep watch while they're drinking and they're lapping that water like a dog. That's what it says. Am I right? That's what it says. And so within that water test, they are left with 300. 300. 300 against, we know, is at least 135,000 of the enemy. 
I don't know what the percentage is here. But if you like me, if I'm 300 facing an army of 135,000, I'm like questioning, okay? I'm just telling you, I'm not quite sure. And so we know the story. And if you don't, of course, Gideon put out a couple of fleeces because he still wasn't sure. And they wait until dark. They surround the enemy. God says, Gideon, when, once you surround that enemy, he says, I want you to blow, have every man. They're going to be armed with a trumpet. They're going to be armed with a vessel with a light in it. He says, and when, I, when, when it's time, you give, the, you give the, the, the shout, he says, and have everyone, everyone blow their trumpets and break those vessels. And they did, and their lights so did shine, and the enemy of 135,000 was so confused by what was going on around them that the Bible says that the enemy turned on one another in chaos and they destroyed one another. Kind of sounds like the world that we live in, doesn't it? Not in the physical killing, but a little bit of that too. But the world is just, they're turning on one another. And it's like, whoa. And so here they were. And, and of course, we know how, what a great, what a great story that is. So much involved in it. That, is it God's not concerned with the numbers. He don't need numbers to get the job done. What he needs is he needs a person that accepts the premise of the call of God and that when he calls you to do something, that he's going to give you the power to make sure that it gets done. And it's not going to, it don't depend on the numbers. And God does not operate in fear. So he said, if there's fear in their life, just send them home because it doesn't do any good. That still works for today, by the way. And then the water test. That is indeed a separation. We might get into that a little bit. So here they were. They had, they had, they had uh, killed 120,000. They had chased them all the way to the Jordan River, but 15,000 had escaped, including two kings. Judges 8.4 says that Gideon and his men, they were faint, they were exhausted, they were hungry, and they had reached the Jordan River, and it was decision time. Do we turn around and pack up our bags, collect the trophies of victory, and go back home and celebrate, or do we go over the Jordan one more time and do we pursue the enemy and do we fulfill the mission that God called us to do? Shall we cross Jordan or turn around and head home? The Jordan River flows about 156 miles from north to south from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. It is mentioned around 185 times throughout the Bible. 
Kathleen and I, Kathleen had it. She used to have some holy water from the Jordan River. And one day in Sunday school, because she would always use it to teach Sunday school to little kids, and somehow it got broken. And so we don't got no more holy water from Jordan. Maybe the bride steward or whoever's been to Israel. But I'm saying that somewhat, you know, funny-wise. But, but the Jordan River, according in the Scriptures, is a very, makes a very powerful statement in a lot of different cases. Here's a few of them. It stood between a new generation of God's people and the promised land. Try it. After 40 years of and a, a doubt-fearing generation that perished, a new generation stood on the banks of the Jordan River and they were waiting for God to do something miraculous to get them across into the promised land. We still believe in miracles, folks. I said we still believe in the miraculous God that never changes. Never changes. And God came on the scene. We know the story. They had, they had already built the ark, and those priests went to the brink, the edge of that water, and they put their toes in that water with the ark on their shoulders, and God made it passable, the miracle. They had to cross the Jordan to get into the promise of God. Jordan River stood as a test to Elisha's legitimate claim to be Elijah's successor. We know the story. Elijah, Elisha was following hard after him. He was in pursuit of Elijah's spirit. They come to the Jordan and Elijah takes his well-worn mantle and he strikes the waters, and he says, where is the, I forget the words, but the God of chariot of Israel and so on and so forth. The waters parted. And then we know the story that Elisha says, Elijah said, hey, Elisha, what do you want? What can I do for you before I leave? He says, well, nothing special other than I want a double portion of what you got, man. Elijah says, well, you ask a pretty hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me taken up, he says, it will be yours. Sure enough, the only thing that fell from the sky as Elijah was taken up was that mantle. Elijah picked up that mantle and he walked back to Jordan's River. And that was his test whether he was going to be the legitimate successor to that prophet Elijah. And sure enough, it worked. He got back over Jordan's waters. Did he do 
double the miracles of Elijah? I believe he did. The Jordan would be the chosen place of John's baptism under repentance. Ooh, that is indeed a place that we need to cross. Brother Ali brought that out today. Right. That is it. That is, that's a place that you need to take the steps into and get to the other side. There's nothing more powerful than your life of repentance in God's eyes. Humility, the man, the teacher said today. Walk humbly before God. Even Ahab, who was the most wicked person alive, God looked at him one time because the Bible says that he humbled himself and repented, and God had mercy on him. It would be the place where Jesus himself would be baptized and John would hear the voice of God and the Spirit descending upon Jesus, giving John the confirmation that indeed Jesus was and is the very Son of God. And then John could proclaim with full confidence that he said, he must increase and I must decrease. So, To Gideon and his 300-man army, the Jordan River represented turning back, packing up, going home to celebrate, or cross the Jordan River one more time to continue to pursue and defeat the enemy, completing their God-given mission, which, which was in the big picture, a mission that had been started a very long time before they stood on the bank of the Jordan River. You understand is that you and I, we are not the first generation of born-again apostolic believers. You do know that, right? This thing has been started a very long time ago, and it is our time and opportunity not just to sit idly by in the marketplace, but God has chosen and called us to complete a God-given mandate that has been started 2,000 years ago. He is asking you, He is asking me, are we going to just collect our victories and settle for the day? Or are we going to pursue this gospel message in reaching the lost? And in doing so, you and I are going to have to make that one extra trip crossing that Jordan River one more time. I'm sure... Now, we don't know how long that battle lasted, but I am quite certain that from the scripture that we read, the Bible says that they were faint. That means they were exhausted, they were worn out, they were weary. I believe I'm talking to some people here today that you are one of those people. You are weary, you are tired, you are faint, you are exhausted. 
And if we are not careful, you will buy in with the idea that it's okay to just play the game, that everybody gets a trophy. But I'm sure that one thing entered into the mind and the heart of Gideon as he stood on this side of Jordan before making the crossing. I'm quite certain that something in his mind went back to the day of Joshua remembering what God had done for him. Find in verses 5 and 6, so somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, Gideon asks and persuades his army of 300. They had already defeated 125,000 of the enemy. They had every right in today's thinking to just accept victory. We have done great things. And they could have just accepted that. They could have they could have taken the spoils of war. They could have taken the trophy home and everybody would have been there meeting them in a time of celebration. Problem being is that there were still 15,000 of the enemy, including the two kings that had escaped. I can almost hear the conversation, Gideon speaking to his men. Do we pursue or do we turn around? Do we keep going or do we turn around? Do we pursue and fulfill our God mandate, our mission that God and God alone has given us or do we go ahead and accept the victory that is now in our past and just hope and pray that the enemy never comes back. I'm here to tell you the enemy is here to stay as long as you and I are still on the earth because we're the church. You do understand that, right? The enemy is not going to pack up and go home. He, no. No. He's going to regroup. He's going to regroup and come back after the things of God because there is no quit in the adversary. He is constantly after those that do not fear or those sometimes that even fear God. He's after you. The enemy has no quit. So Gideon asked, what shall we do, men? And somewhere along the line, those 300 men in a state of exhaustion and hunger said, Gideon, we have seen, we have seen what God has done for us in our generation. We have read about what God has done in the generation before us. I'm just wondering what he's going to do when we cross Jordan one more time. I'm wondering what he's got planned for my future. 
because their victory was in the past. It was in the rearview mirror. They're hungry. Listen to this in verses 5 and 6. Gideon asked the leaders of the town of Sukkoth for bread to feed his faint hungry men. They're turned down. The reason being, they say, you have not caught the two kings of Midian yet. We're not going to support you because there is a good chance that you are going to be defeated. We're not going to give you bread. You show us. Show us first. Then we'll feed you. Gideon says, when I do defeat them, I'm coming back. They turn them down. Not going to help. Gideon continues and stopped at Peniel. There again he asked for bread and was turned down. What those people did not realize. You see, Sukkoth was a place Jacob built where he built a booth on his way back home after he had uh, been in Laban's, you know, working for Laban a number of years. Sukkoth was the first stop that Israel had been, that they stopped at when they had been delivered out of Egypt. See, those men, they didn't know their past. They didn't know that God had already had His hands in the very place that they lived. I want you, listen, God has got His hand in every city, in every town, in every nation. He's got his hands in their place. So they got turned down. They would go to Peniel. Little did those people know. That's the place that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. That is the place that, you see, they should have been fully supporting the people of God. But in, here's what it they didn't realize that the very place that they called home was the very place in Genesis 33 and 17 that Jacob had been in a wrestling match. And he says, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. How hungry are we to complete the mission? Gideon continues on in his pursuit. He destroys the two kings and the remaining army. And listen to verse 13. And Gideon the son of Joash returned from battle before the sun rose. You do. Not only does God not need the numbers, but he can move very quickly to get things done. How long do you think the rapture is going to take? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Is he, is he, is he going to have, is he going to have to scan us? Is he going to have to do an internal review? Is he going to have to, you know, get, say, okay, let's do a, oh, I'm a, might as well take on Brother Ollie. I haven't heard. Let, oh, let Brother Ali, let's, uh, we need to take a couple hours here and review your case to see if you're rapture eligible. 
That ain't the way it's going to happen. The Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, at the sounding of a trumpet, the world does not think yet that God still has in store for the church of this day right now on planet Earth. They do not think that he still works in the miraculous. I'm here to remind you and I as the church of this day that there is nothing stopping him from doing the miracles that he has destined for the church today. Only thing that holds us back is that we're willing to accept things on our past victories instead of being in pursuit and crossing that Jordan one more time, God. I want to see one more. I want to see what you got in store for me today, tomorrow. For the sun was up, it was settled. Let me read a scripture that really uh, has helped me during the last couple of years here. 1 John 2.18, John writes, he says, Dear children, the last hour is here. Excuse me, when was that written? That was... What, last uh, April? Is that when that was written? 1,900 years or so ago, maybe? You know, 1,900 years ago? Okay. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John wrote that about 1,900 years ago. Here, let me give you a, a, uh, some words that come from a gentleman named Warren Risby, and he explains what his opinion of the last hour. He says, all of Old Testament history prepared the way for the work of Christ on the cross. I would say amen to that. All history since that time is merely preparation for the end when Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom on earth. I would say amen to that. And... The last hour began back in John's day and has been growing in intensity ever since. There were ungodly false teachers in John's day, and during the intervening centuries, they have increased both in number and in influence. The last hour or the last times are phrases that describe a kind of time, not a duration of time. In other words, Christians have always been living in that last time crisis days. But now we're living, we are alive and experiencing the intensifying of that time, it is reaching 
a very, very critical time. Now, we don't just read it. We're seeing the I could, my goodness, things that have just happened here in the last couple of weeks globally, enough to just make your head spin. So the man says it, it's always been in the last time. From the day of Pentecost, when the church first began and was born into existence, everything has been leading us, Sister Reyes, unto the time that Jesus literally removes his church and then we all come back and he does establish his kingdom on earth. Everything has been leading up to that, including today. That's why that Jesus offers a prayer in John 17, 15. Jesus prays, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Not isolation, but insulation. Not isolating ourselves from the world, but insulating us from the influence of the world. Not hiding out in a cave somewhere waiting for the imminent return of Jesus, but in the marketplace, conducting business. We can accept where we are right now, looking in the rearview mirror at our past victories, some of us right here today, spiritually exhausted, Standing on the bank of your Jordan River, do we turn around? Do we go home? Do we just show up, raise our hands, worship the Lord for a few minutes, punch out, punch in, punch out, punch in, accept what the world is trying to bring to our supper table every day, or are we so spiritually hungry like Gideon and that army that we say, God, I believe that you have called us to finish this task that has been developing for 1,900 years. The world of Sakoff and Peniel telling us, we're not going to help you. Let me bring it personally today. Is your Jordan River, you doubting your call? Do you, are you sitting here this morning and you are doubting whatever calling it is that God has placed in your life and He has spoken to you 
maybe in the still small voice or certainly the scripture, and he has tried to call you out of hiding away, trying to just survive for your family. And he's saying, oh, mighty person of valor, do you realize that God is with you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that when he that he has called you out of dark, he has empowered you with the Holy Ghost. He has given you a message of healing to your family and to the world. Will you pursue that? Are you still Fearing because of the number game. You see the enemy around you. I, my heart goes out. What a, what a wonderful blessing it is to see those young ladies down here praying, those young children, those young girls. What a powerful statement that is to you, the parents, to this assembly. What a powerful statement that is. When children begin to recognize the value of their worship and the value of their prayers. Maybe you're here and you're on that, you are on your Jordan River Bank and you, all you can see is the numbers, how they're stacking up against the church that you see so small and insignificant in today's world. I'm here to remind you, God does not need numbers. All He needs, He needs faith in operation. He needs you to believe that He is God, that He is present, that He is a miraculous God, that He wants to do something. Forget the numbers game. Don't give place to fear. Maybe some of you today is that you, that God is dealing with you the, to test the water, the waters of separation. Maybe you're here this morning and then you're questioning your baptism. Maybe it is that you're not quite certain. Maybe if you have been baptized correctly or if you still need to be baptized, I'm here to tell you that when you go down in the water and when you call on the name of Jesus Christ, that the very blood atonement that covers your life and it will separate you from the world. It will separate you from the world. His name will identify you. Or maybe some are sitting back and you're questioning the power and the validity and the value of the shout that comes from the victorious, the victorious church that is assembled here today. And you say, that's nonsense. I don't want to get caught up with it. I'm telling you, 
that there is a place of praise. There's a place of worship that brings power, that brings joy, that brings peace, not just to your soul, but it will bless those around you. Greatest example, one of the greatest examples that I know of is King David before he was king. He learned how to worship and to play that harp so well that when he worshiped God, the devil left the room. The devil left the room. Why? Because you understand, you took his place. Cross the Jordan. When you run into people that don't want to help you fight against evil, the doubters, just remind them who built this city in the first place. When you run into those people likened the uh, people that lived in Peniel, remind them that we have an ancestor that had an encounter with God in the very place that we live in. First Peter 3 and 13 through 15, as they come, we're going to close here. Listen to the words that Peter writes. He says, now who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. You will be blessed brother Ali. Have no fear of them. Nor be troubled. But in your heart honor Christ the Lord. As holy. Always being prepared. To make a defense. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. That's the way Peter says that you are going to overcome the doubters of the world. That's the way that you're going to. You're, you're going you're gonna, you are going to come to them with all of the power that God has put into you. And that is love, that is joy, that is peace, that is righteousness in the, the kingdom of God. You're going to come to them with gentleness and meekness and love. What will be our prayer as you stand? Revelation 6.10 the writer writes this, he says, How long, O Lord, before you judge this world? So he says, he says, Come on! How long, God, do we got to put up with this? Just boom, get her done. You know, like the sons of thunder. Come to a Samaritan village, they would not Jesus in the house. They said, Give us the word, Lord. We will call fire down and we will, we will cinch them up, man. We will burn them. Jesus said, Wait, wait, wait. He says, 
you don't know what spirit you're of. Oh, come on. I, 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 if you were honest, if we were honest, I would imagine that there's a few of us in the assembly that that probably has occurred once in a while. Come on, God. Just boom. Get them. You know, the driver that's giving you the California way. All right, God. Boom. Get him. All right. Or I'm going to bump him. Bump and run. Will that be our prayer? There's a word. There's two words that come together in 1 Corinthians 16 and 22. Paul, in a sense, is kind of writing similar. He says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. That means cursed. But the very next word is meraontha which means, come, Lord Jesus. See, Paul is calling down the curse of judgment on those who despise the Savior, but then without so much of a break, he calls on the Lord to come. But Revelation 22 and 20, the Bible says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The word meraonthe is a word with a double meaning that was used by the early church. One, it means our Lord has come. Two, it means Lord, come quickly. So, standing on the bank of the Jordan this morning, you can use that word because you, you're facing a, a, an invisible enemy most of the time. All you got to do, Lord, Maranatha. In other words, can you just read the book and see what he has done for me in the past and done for the church and the world in the past? And the same word, we can say, oh, man, you should see what he is about to do for my future. He came, and he's coming again. But in the meantime, you and I are stuck. We're stuck. Reality. You are going to have to face those schools, the jobs, the pressure that if you don't do this, you're done. Boom. So your very livelihood rests on very, very important decisions that you are forced to make both as young people and as adults. God, help us. I'm right there. Got it all under control. All you need to do is you need to make sure that your brain and your heart is absolutely focused on one thing, and that is there is a soul out there that I think is just as important as you, and I'm asking you to cross that Jordan and try to at least extend your hand of, 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 of the gospel and try to rein in it because I love that person as much as I love you. Oh, oh boy, that kind of finishes that, doesn't it? Yeah, you mean, 
You mean that there's people out there that God loves just as much as he loves you? Well, I guess I better put my game face on then because that's pretty important because I know how much he loves me. If he loves somebody else as much as he loves me, oh, my goodness, I guess I better put my game face on. I guess I better, I guess I better show up. I guess I better do more than just show up. I guess I better give it everything that I've got. I guess I better cross that Jordan even when it's swelling, even when the banks are overflowing. But I guess I better be the first one to put my foot in that water. I believe that there is somebody that's standing there this morning and that you have questions in your mind. I'm here to remind you today that God does not change. He will never change. He is here right this very moment, and he is here for you. If you have a need, if you need a miracle today, whatever it is that you need, you got fear in your life, Come down here and let it be gone in the name of the Lord Jesus. You got doubt in your mind, get it out of here. You've got questioning whether that, that, that God has put a calling into your life. You need to come down here and you need to, you need to sink your teeth into that once and for all. You've never tested those waters. Oh, my goodness. Here's one thing I can 100% guarantee, just like the story of Naaman in the Bible. It's 100% guarantee that when you go down into the waters as a repentant soul, 100% that you come up out of that water and that you are clean. There is no more leprosy. That's 100% guarantee. You know why? It's because it is the blood atonement that will cover your sins and wash them away. It's 100% effective. Not one person can point the finger at God and say, God didn't work. Hello? Would you come this morning? Come on, folks. I'm believing that God, not only is he doing things right now, not only has he done great things in our past as an assembly, but I'm here to tell you that you are a part of a fantastic, a, an incredible, a miraculous move of God that is going to come in the future. And the future is the next moment.